Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. The Volume. Darwin. The nerves is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brabber. Alongside me is Logan Camden. And today we are going to be covering a bunch around the NBA, starting with a little bit of all-star talk because we gave our full all-star teams just ahead of the official announcement last Thursday. And as always, there is some controversy. There's a whole lot of talk about the biggest snubs, a couple key names bouncing around there. And since we haven't really had a chance to debrief on that, Logan, who is it who stands out to you as the biggest snub this year? The most egregious all-star snub to me was Trey Young, and I believe we both had him on our Eastern Conference all-star team, correct? Correct. Yeah, Trey, you know, is a very polarizing player, but I think mm-hmm. his statistical case alone makes him uh, a shoe in uh, 27 points, three boards, and 11 assists per game this season on 43-38-86 splits, 59% true shooting. Uh, we did some of this trivia, actually. Uh, we shot these uh, for our TikTok, so some of these you will see in the uh, coming days. Uh, you can check us out uh, over there for some extra trivia content on TikTok at NerdSesh. Slight little plug. Plug talk. Slight plug little talk. plug. Um, Trey is one of nine guys to average 27 or more points per game and not make the All-Star game. He's actually, uh, actually averaging the eighth most points per game in NBA history to not make the All-Star game. He's also one of 10 guys to average 10.9 assists per game or more and to not make the All-Star game. That's the 10th most assists per game in NBA history to not make the All-Star game. So you couple both of those factors together, the scoring and the playmaking, Trey is leading great offense. Uh, the Hawks have an offensive rating of 118.5 with Trey on the floor. That is equivalent to the sixth best offense in all of the NBA. So what I'm saying is, is the one side of the floor as a point guard that Trey Young is directly most responsible for has been great. And I just don't think he's enough of a defensive liability to justify completely omitting Trey from the all-star team. Uh, and to be frank, I mean, I think for most of this season, that this is kind of in the best effort that I've seen from Trey defensively uh, as the oh, yeah. point of attack guy. So I just don't know how you leave him off. I get that he doesn't have the overwhelming team success, that the Hawks aren't winning as many games as some of these other units, but Trey's job is really freaking hard. 
and he's doing it at a very, very high level. Again, I just read you off some of the numbers at a historic level to not make the all-star team. And when you're looking at other guys that made the team, uh, I know they can get convoluted with the requirements for the all-star game. Again, starters, two backcourt, three front court, bench, uh, another two backcourt, three front court, and then you have two wild card spots. So it gets a little hard when you have those restrictions. But uh, just point blank, players that I would take him over on the all-star team, I would take him over Julius Randle. I just think that Julius yeah. Randle is a very inconsistent player. His job is not nearly as hard as Trey's, and he is not nearly as responsible for the Knicks' success as the surrounding pieces, right? The Knicks are a great basketball team, and Julius Randle is the number two there. Tyrese Maxey, I would have Trey Young over. Again, Tyrese is the number two on his team. Uh, Jalen Brown, uh, I mean, you could argue he's the number three on his team, you know, behind Kristaps. Paolo Bancaro. Again, I think he's a part of a great conglomerate. So while Trey Young's team is not great, Trey is great. And I just think we're rewarding team success, uh, winning records over the, the players who are more deserving. Uh, this is another yeah. historic offensive season, Carson, for Trey Young. And I think it's a historic omission from the All-Star game. We did this last year. You know, he was averaging 26 points in 10 assists a game, and he was leading out the best offense in all of the NBA when he was on the floor I think Trey's the biggest all-star snub this year, and I also think uh, De'Aaron Fox was probably the second biggest snub. But for me, uh, this is back-to-back seasons where Trey Young should have been an all-star lock, and he was completely snubbed. I agree. Trey should have been on the team. He was for both of us. And it's really an interesting dynamic, Logan, when you feel like you're on something early. Like, there's all this talk after the Eastern Conference Finals run back in 2021, mm-hmm. or even earlier in his second year, when Trey is putting up these monstrous numbers of, is this guy the next generationally great point guard? And I always had real issues with his play style in terms of how it scaled to winning at the highest level. This overwhelming ball dominance, this refusal to play without the ball, a bit of the reliance on getting to the line over great, pure, efficient shot making, and the fact that he was always a glaring defensive liability where he has gotten better this year, but still is a minus defensively. So you feel like you start on one side of the argument, Mm -hmm. being lower on this guy than the consensus. And then those things get exposed, right? He has some ugly moments in the postseason. At the same time, he has some special moments, but really because of team success, because of people disliking the guy and aesthetically his play style, the pendulum swings so far that now you become an advocate for the guy. That's what I feel like my arc has been for Trey Young. Like I've Mm -hmm. never seen myself as a Trey Young guy, but now we're seeing things thrown out there that are just ludicrous and are disingenuous. Like, first of all, the notion that this year he is an all-time defensive liability. It's just not true. At the same time, I talk about that pendulum again. Now we're seeing things swing too far. Somebody, some Hawks guy tweeted today about how Trey is on the path to becoming an elite defender. No, he is six foot one, 165 pounds with a 6'2 wingspan, okay? Physical limitations will prevent him from ever being even a plus defender. But he cares defensively now. He's making more timely plays with his hands. He's improving. There's always a middle ground, man, Logan. Yeah. That's one of the key <laughs> objectives of this show, I feel like, is to just find that reasonable middle ground. So people are still trying to say, oh, he is so horrible defensively that that inhibits him from being an all-star, which just doesn't make sense, right? Dame has been worse defensively than Trey has. Almost none of the guards, none of the guards in the East have been pluses defensively on the all-star team. Then you do have the team success stuff, which is just like, really? When has being five games below 500 ever 
inhibited you from making the All-Star team. The Lakers are one game above. They have two All-Stars, and they absolutely should. Steph Curry is four games below 500. Of course he's an All-Star. Like, it is reflective of your individual performance. Trey, individually, is performing at an All-Star level this year. You talked about how, both in terms of scoring and playmaking output, he's a historic outlier to be excluded from the All-Star team. When you combine those two things together, guys to average 25 and 10 and miss the All-Star team, it's Trey Young, twice the last two seasons now in Michael Adams Logan which we talk about as one of the hilarious statistical seasons ever because the Nuggets were averaging 120 something possessions a game their entire brand was to just play comically fast him and Orlando Woolridge both averaged 25 points per game that year but they were terrible they weren't an efficient offense they were a 20 win team so it is historically unprecedented and he's doing it in a way Trey is that is far more legitimate than the only other guy to ever be denied with this sort of production and Michael Adams shot 39% from the field. Yeah, he was inefficient. And Trey legitimately does so much to elevate your team offense. Again, when it comes down to making that title push, you need a guy who can play mm -hmm. multiple styles, who can easily fit alongside other really good ball handlers. Those are adjustments that Trey still needs to make. But when you give him shooting, when you give him rim finishing, he's going to make you a good offense. And this year hasn't been the best example of that, but he's still been better than Paolo Boncaro, who we've talked about, is four points below league average in terms of scoring efficiency. The team has been nine points per 100 possessions better when him when he sits, when he's off the floor, and they are good because of their great defense. And they're not even that good of a basketball team, right? There are a few games mm -hmm. above 500, but it is crediting the face of the team as opposed to who is actually driving the success, maybe on a slightly inferior team, but that's what Trey's doing. I think Paolo will be a better player than Trey Young. I do not think 21-year-old Paolo, mm -hmm. as one of the worst volume pull-up shooters in the league, as one of the worst volume scorers in the league, period, still figuring things out defensively and as a playmaker, is a better player than this version of Trey, who has been consistently elevating team offenses, especially in the regular season, for years. Well, I mean, just apples to apples, Carson. It's like, I, I, again, I think they're just pigeonholed arguments to keep Trey out. It's like in a vacuum. If you were starting a team, would you rather have Derek White or Trey Young? You're taking Trey Young 10 times out of 10. It's not a yeah. debate, man. Like, yeah. It is weird, Carson, because I was on the other side of the fence, too. I, I was, I always said, if Trey wants to actually win something, he's going to have to commit to playing off ball. He's going to have to commit to doing little things, to working on the defensive end. And I just don't understand it. It's like we don't have eyes, man. It's like we don't understand basketball well enough. I don't get how a guy this good is getting left off. And that's why I think it's important, Carson, that these are things that are going to matter historically, right? When people are making mm -hmm. arguments for players that are better, uh, that's something that we love to delve in here at Nerd Session. We love the historical aspects. Carson and I are we're nerds, man. We love that. Yeah. These are things that are going to come into play when people are arguing about all-star teams, when people say, oh, John Havlicek was, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. 12-time all-star, whatever Hondo was. Paul Harrison was an eight-time all-star. That's why he's better than Trey Young. You know, whatever pigeonhole yeah. arguments we're going to make, it's like we can't hold these things against Trey Young. He played at an all-star caliber level. He was deserving to make the all-star team. And that's why it's important that we establish the context and the importance that I think we got it wrong. I think I think just players and fans, I think we got it wrong. I, to me, this is maybe the worst. Is, is this the worst all-star snub ever? I don't. My bag's oh, not no. as, as deep. Who do you think? Is this up there for you then, Carson? This is uh, pretty egregious. I don't even know if I would say it's the worst this year, though, which is complicated Ooh. because 
I think De'Aaron Fox is having a better season than Trey Young. Mm -hmm. I think De'Aaron Fox is a better basketball player than Trey Young. I think his style is more conducive to racking up those wins, to elevating a ceiling. And that's the key difference. When you talk about the Derek White versus Trey Young conversation, if you're trying to win a title, you already have a couple of star ball handlers. Of course, you would take Derek White. He does the little things. Mm -hmm. He compliments those guys. If you are saying we're starting from scratch, can you make us a respectable basketball team? Can you win us 40-something games? Trey is one of the best in the league at doing that because of his sheer impact offensively. And people are griping about team success. He at least got his team to the playoffs the last three years without overwhelming talent. That's not something that it should just be taken for granted. That's not a given, even with other star caliber players around the league. The biggest all-star snubs of all time, I would probably have to go with Dame mm -hmm. in a couple of those years, that 16-17 range. He was a great volume scorer, efficient, doing it on playoff caliber teams, solid efficiency at the very least. And I do think that that play style has always been more conducive. But this is a big miss to me because of the competition. When you look out West, it's like, yeah, Fox got mm -hmm. snubbed. That sucked. I think he's having a better season than Trey. The competition is also a lot stiffer. The West is just more loaded. Julius Randle just doesn't do it for me, man. Doesn't do it for me with his play style. When you look at how well the Knicks have played without him yeah. so far. And then Paolo, again, I just don't think is at that level in terms of winning impact. I also would have had KP over both those guys I just mentioned. Much more efficient much higher level two-way impact, just playing a style that is more conducive to winning, uh, more refined in that sense. And I do think Fox, man, 27.5 points and 5.5 and assists per game on 58% true shooting, having a career three-point shooting season, plus five on off. The team has been noticeably better with him out there for a team that is 10 games above 500 when he plays. It just sucks to see a guy having that kind of season get left off, especially when he hasn't really left doubts about his playoff performance. Now, I will say, again, I think if that stuff gets overhyped with Trey because he had some in this last playoff run and he still drove a really good team offense in the playoffs, but people just key in on the negatives with him. Foxy actually wasn't super efficient, but you did feel the stress that he put on a defense. You felt how that mid-range shot making and speed could translate. I thought that they both should have been on and I thought that KP should have been on. Yeah, and for some additional context behind uh, Fox 1, I completely agree with you. I think all three of these guys should have been in there over guys that were selected. And Fox is tough because, again, the, the West is deep. Fox averaged the six most points per game in NBA history to not make the All-Star game. And, again, when you talk about team success, it's it's drastic. I, I, yeah. I don't know. Frankly, I'm disappointed. As a Kings fan, I'm very disappointed for De'Aaron Fox Carson. That one stunned me you know I, I almost expected Trey Young to get left off just because mm -hmm. I, I know how the league thinks about Trey and it, it, it's not surprising because I saw this last year you know what I mean if they do it again it's not going to be surprising for Fox to be left off with when we've seen him make real growth you know I mean it's been a it's been a slow process over these past you know real really two and a half years of basketball for Fox where we've seen him really grow into his own as a pull-up mid-range jump shooter mm -hmm. and then this year to see him really make that stride towards becoming a really, really good three-point shooter and, you know, pull-up shooter from distance, it's just disheartening. It, it's really disappointing, man. Uh, yeah. I, I'm I'm stunned, especially about Fox. I'm not as surprised about Trey, but I'm, I'm really stunned about De'Aaron. These are the two guys last year, man, who on the initial all-star teams at the very least were left out. Fox ended up getting in, but it's also just really surprising that both 
Kings were left off. I get that they're not yeah. like an elite team, but they're a damn good team with two clearly all-star caliber play uh, players. And it's just surprising to me that neither one of them would be given that credit. But at the end of the day, Trey is very likely going to get in in the East because Randall and Embiid uh, doubt that either of them will be able to play. Embiid certainly won't. And out West, it's very possible that one of the older guys is injured and then Fox steps up. But I did think of those were misses. When you ask about the all-time question, just a couple other dudes who have popped into my head, you do have that uh, Neek season where he was scoring like 27 a game, didn't make it. Now, the efficiency, not great. I'm not as high on Neek as some, but uh, still surprising. We did shoot another video about like the most productive assist guys to miss the All-Star team. Mm -hmm. And I specifically said, there's no way that KJ uh, had one of these seasons and didn't make it. And he actually had two of them. And mm -hmm. I think really surprising, KJ, I kind of forgot when we were answering those but it's five time all nba and three time all-star only so there's a couple years 89 with the suns he's averaging 20 and 12 on a really good team an elite offense he's scoring with great efficiency he doesn't make it there's a clyde season in the late 80s where he was on a really good team maybe not doing peak clyde stuff but close to it so uh, there are a fair share of examples. And in recent years, it's only gotten more egregious just because of the mm -hmm. depth of the competition. You think about the book years where he's averaging 27 a game on solid efficiency, but the team success in that West, in that backcourt specifically, it's just tough to, to carve out a spot. So all-star snubs are nothing new, but it is always a bit of a bummer. Expand the teams to 15, as we have been saying. But you know who does not get snubbed for the all-star game, Logan? The dudes who have spent decades building up a reputation and it feels like there's been sort of a prominent dialogue recently about uh something that we actually addressed in a mailbag question last week which is that the faces of the league are still the same guys who have been the faces of the league for a decade or even more in the case of a lebron or a kd that being those two and steph if you had to take one of those old goats for a playoff run this year out of those three who would you take, Logan? It's a tough question. I think I'd take LeBron, though. Wow. I, yeah, I know that's kind of wild to say at 39 years old. This year, LeBron's at 25, uh, basically 7.5 and 7.5 and on 52, 39, uh, 73 splits. And really the only... <laughs> The only concern I have with taking LeBron is the effort question, right? Possession to possession, is LeBron going to give me 100%? And I don't think so. But I think with everything else that he gives me, I would still take him. I trust him to step up his game in big moments and to take his game up a notch. He's still as imposing and downhill as a physical force as ever. He's still a great floor general and playmaker. And... You know, this is a real career shooting year for what we've gotten from LeBron in the past couple of seasons. So, the skill is still there. I, I still think he can take his game up another level. My only question really is about effort. And that's why I would consider a guy like Steph Curry. Because I don't think LeBron's going to give you 100% on defense. And Steph's two for me. KD's probably three out of this bunch. And, uh, you know, I I'd be happy to take any of these guys. Steph I would consider because with LeBron, like I said, you're not getting that same defensive impact, so defense really doesn't really factor in at all to me on this question. You think about Steph's gravity as a shooter, all the attention that he demands. Steph's going to take his game up a notch in the playoffs. He does not fear the big moments. Like, take that King series last year. Young team trying to slay an old dragon. The core of Curry, Draymond, Klay Thompson. 
I mean, the veteran guard just stepped on their necks in the big moments and finished them off. You know, they just big dogged the Kings, and Steph did. When they needed to, Steph stepped up. So it's close for me between Steph and LeBron, but even though LeBron's 39, man, I think I think there's another gear for him to kick into. And the ironic part is just the Lakers just have to get there again. Like, again, last year, man, everybody wrote the Lakers off, Carson. Everybody called us crazy. Well, one... I think it's so ironic. Everybody called us crazy for having these big expectations for the Lakers. And then, after they said that our expectations were crazy, after they overachieved their expectations, we moved the needle and said, oh, it was a complete disappointment because they got swept in the Western Conference Finals. We had to move the, we had to move the needle. It's just funny how we just changed the narrative every playoff series. Uh, I'm still taking LeBron, man. I, I I know that sounds ridiculous at this old age, but I, I still, I'm not betting against the King. I still think there's another gear that he can kick up to. Again, I know that I'm not getting 100%. I know I'm not getting clamps, lock down LeBron every defensive possession, but he still gives me a ton offensively, and he demands a ton of attention offensively. So, uh, yeah, it, I'm taking the old man. It doesn't sound ridiculous to me at all. I still have a whole lot of faith in playoff LeBron because I have a whole lot of faith in dialed-in LeBron. And he does have a couple advantages over these other two. One is, to me, when he wants to, he still does have the biggest defensive impact. KD can be really effective as a help defender, as a rim protector. But I think that LeBron has the most overall impact when you think about he can blow stuff up as a low man. He's so physically imposing in those one-on-one matchups. So he has that two-way upside. And then offensively, again, it comes down to that physical imposition and the control that he can exert over the game, which he's done less and less over these years. But you still know that if LeBron wants to grind you down for a quarter, if it's running pick and roll, if it's attacking mismatches out of the post over and over again, he has the physical dominance to get to the rim a whole lot. And he has the playmaking to punish you for helping with uh, just brilliant passes. So I definitely expect him to elevate his game the most in that playoff setting. I still think that Steph is the dude who is best built to carry you at this point because LeBron does have that ceiling. Maybe for a single game, he has the highest ceiling, but over the entirety of a run, I just think he is going to pick his spots more. Steph is the dude who we have seen go absolutely berserk individually in the last two playoff runs. And even this season, in a down year, a down year for him is 28 and 5 on better than 63% true shooting. And in these last four games, we have seen three masterclasses from Steph. 46 on the Lakers. Obviously, LeBron was also incredible in that game. That was so much fun to watch. Then he goes 37-8-7 on 70% true shooting, or 70% shooting from the field versus Philly. Then he drops 60 on the Hawks. Two of those come in losses, but that is not on Steph. The three-point shot making in particular has been unfathomable over his last four games he's averaging 7.8 made threes per game logan on 47 percent shooting and that ability to just explode i still don't think we see from lebron at this age i think that he is still undeniably the most complete offensive engine even though katie is having a historically great shooting season and i mean that seriously like by percentage from deep he's having the 12th best 
season ever with a minimum of five threes attempted per game. And basically everybody else above him is just straight up catch and shoot guys. It's your Kyle Corvers, your JJ Reddicks. He is doing this shoot and hang pulls, as Chet would say. It's OD. He's also shooting 84% at the rim. Like Katie, 28, 6 and 6 on 65% true shooting. That is nasty. But again, I, Steph well, is going on. to put more overall stress on a defense. He's shooting what at the rim? 84% in the restricted area. It's it's ridiculous. It's disgusting. Steph Curry. No, KD. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, he's not forcing a lot of really tough looks at the rim, but it's an unfathomable number. His efficiency from everywhere is just ridiculous. So KD is special still, but it's kind of the same fundamental difference that they've always had. And again, I do worry on KD relying on those long twos just a bit too much in playoff settings and against really physical wing defenders. If it's Jason Tatum two years ago, if it's Aaron Gordon last year, he can diminish a little bit. Steph, we have seen in the worst offensive circumstances, right? KD is playing with much better spacing. He's got two other devastating on-ball guys. He's got really good spot-up shooters around him. Steph, it's like you're the only dude who can threaten us with the ball in your hands. And sometimes you're playing with these clunky two big looks with Draymond and Looney out there. And still, he's torching what was the best playoff defense last year with the Lakers and could have torched them more if he had a good outside shooting series, like he missed some makeable looks, but he was still penetrating consistently. He was playmaking at such a high level. His last two playoff runs, he's 28 and a half points, six assists a game on 60% true shooting. And in there you have the title run, which was unbelievable. One of the probably 15 to 20 best individual finals performances we have ever seen over the course of that series. Then you have the King series where Steph reached as high a level as a scorer as we've really ever seen from him. Game seven, one of the three best games he's ever played. And then again, he still controlled that Lakers series in such uphill circumstances. So to me, he's just the guy in the last two postseasons who has proven it. He is the guy who doesn't have a Devin Booker to lean on, doesn't have an Anthony Davis to lean on, doesn't have a Lakers team defense to lean on for stretches, or even the secondary creation from Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell. And he's still just through that sheer offensive force can will you to win these playoff series. Maybe it doesn't happen this year, but I think that's because of issues with the Warriors supporting cast individually. It's close. I think you could make a case for any of these guys and in their circumstances, it's going to be easier for LeBron or for KD to be the guy who actually wins a playoff series or maybe even two. But I think if you drop Steph into those situations or if you dropped him with equivalent complementary talent built around him, he would still be the guy for me. Old goats excluded. Is Steph somewhere in that three to five range for you? I think so still. Yeah, it's getting tough this year, man. It's getting tough with the ascent of SGA. He's got to be somewhere in that mix. But uh, Steph's just proven it so many times. And these last couple years has been at his best in those playoff scenarios. The title year, that was a down regular season for Steph. The people started wondering if he had fallen off. And then he played as well in that postseason run as he has in any postseason run. So, yeah, I think he's probably still got to be in my top five. But, again, Kawhi's not quite in that old GOATS range. He's a few years younger. But he's another guy who maybe isn't going to be in the MVP conversation. Maybe isn't going to put up his flashiest numbers ever. But come playoff time, he is right up there in that top tier. For the reasons we've talked about, he just consistently is an assassin in those situations. I might take him over any of these guys. I I was going to say, if you could take... If if health was excluded, I think you could make an argument for Kawhi at one. Like, he's so... At one? Over Jokic? 
Oh, not over Jokic. My bad. Okay. I can't. I can't. I can't forget about yeah, the yeah. big serve. Yeah, but... yeah. Don't forget about Big Honey. <laughs> Kawhi, when he's locked in, it's like uh, it's like Mahomes. I, that's the feeling. I get a Thanos feel where it's just like, damn, man, you can't stop him. Yeah. You can't stop him. Yeah, dude. I'm gonna be thinking for months about our top ten players going into the postseason. We did that oh, last year. We're gonna do it again this guess year. Guess where I put guess where I put Steph Curry. Yeah, you put him at ten, buddy. <laughs> you put him at ten last year. And I think I had Kawhi at five, maybe. And I think I'm gonna have him somewhere up there again this year. He just consistently plays as well as anybody on the planet, probably outside of Jokic. Okay. Let's go from the old guys to the very young, Logan, because we have heard and talked so much about Wemby and Chet this year, this awesome Rookie of the Year race, these two uh, historically impressive rookie bigs who are on a collision course for this awesome rivalry for years to come. But outside of that, which rookie from this class would you most want to build around? Uh, it is Buttersmooth Brandon Miller. Yes, Brandon Miller has a butter smooth game, man. That guy is I think he's gonna be a star, dude. Oh, I, yeah. I would take him I would take him in a heartbeat. Uh, and we loved him out of the drafts, right? Good at great athlete, elite shooter, could shoot with distance, could shoot with range, uh, off the catch, off movement. And he's just he's he's a total package, dude. He's composed. I trust him with the ball in his hands to play on and off ball, and that's a distinction. That's what I really like about Miller, is like some of these guys like like Trey Young, right? We don't know if he can work off ball next to a guy. I think you could drop Brandon Miller into almost virtually any situation, and his skill set translates to uh, winning. If it's with the ball in his hands, or if the ball isn't in his hands, right? He's just a he's just a good offensive asset. I'd like to have out there. Uh, the Hornets are four point six points per one hundred possessions better with Miller than without. You know, it's a marginal difference uh, among rankings of teams. Like it's only a difference between being the twenty fifth and the 29th offense, but. It's still a big difference. Uh, Brandon's averaging 16, 4, and 2 on 44, 39, 82, 55 splits. Uh, he's still an elite shooter. He's a great athlete. And honestly, Carson, the area where I've been most impressed with uh, are defensively and playmaking, and, and mostly recently. And the reason I say that is not because I want to dismiss his other elite attributes. Like I said, we knew that he was a great athlete, and we knew that he was a great shooter. But uh, last game against the Pacers, man, He's got a help side block uh, as a rim protector. He's got a transition block. Um, I trust him on ball and I trust him off ball. Again, with those athletic tools and his frame, his wingspan, I trust him to be an impact defender. But playmaking-wise, with the ball in his hands, he is a very, very composed rookie. Uh, reading the floor, he is patient. Uh, he's just got a great feel for the game that you don't really get with Young guards, and I know he's, he's a wing guard archetype, whatever. You know, he's going to have the ball in his hands. It is remarkable uh, that he is this composed as a young player. And, like, I've I've been, again, the assist numbers aren't crazy. Um, he's averaging, you know, I think, like, two to three uh, this year. It's it's not that many, but he's not a bad playmaker. Like, he he's, keeps his head up. He is looking to dissect the defense. Brandon Miller's a freaking stud, man. Like, I, I think he is going to be. A, a superstar. So for him, it, it's easy. Um, I, yeah, I, I think he can work on ball. I think he can work off ball. I like his defense. I like his playmaking. I think Brandon Miller's the total freaking package. And you're right, man. It's kind of sad. He's getting overshadowed by two of the greatest rookies we've ever seen, man. Um, Miller's Miller's going to be a stud, dude. 
I'm waiting for him to get his just due, man, because I can't remember a prospect in recent years who just got more arbitrary hate and seemingly people preying on his downfall than Brandon Miller. Now, just speaking seriously, if it's because of his involvement in uh, providing a murder weapon, I understand that, but that didn't seem like that was what was driving it. In fact, it seemed like people got pissed when that got brought up. Like, that ignited a pretty unjust war against Malik Andrews being like, oh, why would you talk about this obvious thing that is hanging over everything surrounding this kid? So, yeah, I would understand some frustration around his involvement in that. But it literally just felt like people were like, hey, Scoot is sick. I've been watching Scoot highlights for longer and... I talk about the archetypes that NBA fans love. NBA fans love tough buckets, and they love crazy athletic guards. They love Russell Westbrooks, they love John Walls, and they love Scoot Hendersons. And Brandon Miller didn't have that sort of physical imposition. And so, Summer League, he had some rough moments, and it was like everybody was ready to pronounce him dead on arrival. And any rough moment early in the year, it felt like people were celebrating but the dude is a baller, and we both felt that he was the right guy to go number two, and he is absolutely, from the actual 2023 draft, taking Chet out of it, the second guy who I would want to build around. You gave his stats overall in the year. His last 10 games, bro, he is playing like a star. He's averaging 23 points per game on 49-40-86 splits. That's 61% true shooting. Not only should that production not be possible for a rookie, that efficiency for the Charlotte Hornets as a rookie wing, should not be attainable. Like, that is ridiculous stuff. And I love a lot of the traits that you mentioned. I do think that he is a good playmaker, and that was part of what I liked about him so much. It's not just that he had this great scoring skill set. It was the fact that you could see him so intuitively fitting in multiple situations and having a multifaceted impact. Defending on the perimeter, he would take on point guards at Bama, but also as a secondary rim protector with his length. He was a really good rebounder in college. And you see those defensive traits come out at times. He did have a couple really nice plays at the rim in this last game. And I do think that he has good playmaking presence for a wing, especially for a wing of this age, right? He'll float the lob out of pick and roll at times. He's an unselfish ball mover. But it really does come down, first and foremost, to just big-time shot making. He's 45% from mid-range. He's 38% from deep. He's been really good on pull-ups. He's 42% on floaters, which maybe isn't like a great number, but the comfort with which he puts those intermediate shots up out of pick and roll for a six foot nine, 21-year-old, I really like, and I love his change in pace. He's got those hesitations. He can just shift gears. The, the all-in-all pick and roll game, the playmaking, the pace, the shot making is so impressive to me. And then he has really a Paul George-esque blend of on-ball yeah, and off-ball effectiveness. PG is Brandon <laughs> Miller's goat. He started a Brandon, movement of the youths coming out and saying that PG is the goat. Brandon Miller's his own goat. Now. He's his own goat, which is pretty <laughs> hard. But PG was also like consistently a comparison for him. Because you see mm -hmm. the fluidity at that size, 6'9", as a ball handler. PG, I think, is a more explosive athlete, but Brandon Miller is still a good athlete. They have the special shooting, and then, yeah, the solid playmaking, the plus defense. Like, there were a lot of things that were intuitive about that. But when you think about the willingness to move off ball, to curl around screens, the ability to shoot off movement in those tight windows. Like, Brandon Miller is just phenomenal in those situations. So, 
I think that this guy is stamped as a future star. I think he's going to be all NBA. I don't necessarily see an MVP level ceiling for him, but I think he's probably kind of like PG, a solid number one or a really ideal number two down the line. And I do want to ask you, Logan, who do you think is the better asset long-term for Charlotte? Is it him or is it LaMelo? Yeah, think on that one for a second. I have an answer if you want me to buy you some time. I mean, I think I'm... Wow, I really like LaMelo, man. I really so like I. LaMelo a lot, but I'd probably say Brandon. I, I, I'm, I'm telling you, the. I have rarely seen this level of composure as a ball handler from a rookie, especially a rookie wing at this. Like, I think that is so encouraging, yeah. Carson, that he can handle like this, that he's so comfortable in the pick and roll, that he's... Like, I, I think Brandon's just a... Like, he's a baller. Like, I, I think Brandon is a baller, man. I think he is bred to ball. Um, Damn, that's tough. I, I think the defensive... The defensive aspect of it, I think the the that I buy into Brandon as a playmaker, I think it's Brandon and Lamelo has his health concerns too, which is yeah, which yeah, is yeah. is a red flag. So I wow, man, I I think they're both studs, but I'd say I'd probably invest more heavily in Brandon Miller. Yeah, the health is obviously a factor, but even just one to one as pure basketball players to build around, I much prefer. Miller's archetype. I think he can be better in a vacuum, but I also think LaMelo, as we were talking about with Trey, there is a bit of a ceiling to the defensive liability, super ball dominant, uh, heliocentric, at times questionable shot selection guard. And although I think that LaMelo is really, really good, having a wing who can play multiple different roles and is going to score efficiently and do all of these complementary things to maybe your lead guard, your number one option offensively, but can still give you 25 a night. That's something that every single basketball team wants. And I think that that's what Brandon Miller is. Whereas with LaMelo, it's going to be a bit more complicated finding that winning fit. Yeah. And to, to add some context to that too, I, these are limited sample sizes per game. Uh, Brandon Miller right now is an 100th percentile cutter, and he's also a 93rd percentile uh, handoff player, too. I mean, you can run, you know, actions for the guy that are going to lead to great offense. I also, you know, Carson, I think there's one more guy that people would point to, and that is Scoot Henderson, and I think we should mm-hmm. open this up to a conversation kind of about Scoot versus Brandon because that was a hot-button topic in the draft. Yeah. We both liked Brandon, and mostly because of the perimeter game. And I watched Scoot's last game against uh, Denver, I am a little bit concerned about Scoot and what he can do long-term. And the only reason I say that is, is his perimeter shot and his perimeter game. I I, I also want to preface this by saying, too, that I think Portland is a really difficult situation Mm -hmm. to overcome. There's not a lot of talent there. There's not a lot of other guys to lean on. And I do think Scoot's going to get better with time, right? We're not expecting him to win games. This is the time for him to make mistakes, to grow. And so I don't want to rag on him too much, like I won't completely write him off, but... Scoot's not a great shooter. When he takes a pull-up jump shot, I'm like, that's not a great shot. You know, I want Scoot to get fully downhill. When Scoot takes a three, that's not a great shot. Um, He has a certain carelessness and recklessness with the ball. Um, And again, he's a rookie guard, so I don't want to criticize Scoot too heavily, but Mm -hmm. I've kind of been underwhelmed this year a little bit by Scoot. And again, there's, there's a lot of factors. Rookie guard, rookie guards are uh, normally inefficient. This is a bad situation, but... He's really far away as an intermediate shooter in the mid-range, as a three-point shooter. 
he hasn't been great uh, in terms of change of pace or creating separation with guys on ball. I don't know, man. I, I'm concerned about Scoot long-term, and, and Scoot versus Brandon Miller is not nearly as close as it was uh, draft night, you know, now that we have tape on these guys. I do agree with that. I'm definitely higher on Miller, and I was to begin with. But, yeah, the margin has increased. But I wouldn't say that I'm concerned about Scoot long-term. I think it makes sense that he's had some real growing pains. He is this hyper-athletic guard who, yeah, can be a little bit out of controls at, at times and isn't in a great offensive situation. And uh, the jump shooting thing is just going to take time. There was no reason to expect that Scoot would be an efficient jump shooter at this level. He was 20-something percent from three in the G League. He was better for mid-range but still inconsistent there. But I don't think that his jump shot is by any means broken. I think he is very comfortable taking it. He has been shooting it a lot better as of late. Over his last 10 games, he's 37% from deep on three and a half attempts per game. And he's still a special athlete. It's the explosive first step. It's what he can do around the rim vertically, but it is also his strength, his frame. I still do like his vision as a playmaker. I still like his two-way upside. I like Brandon Miller more than him. But I still think that Scoot absolutely has star potential. And I have been a bit underwhelmed because I thought maybe just his sheer physical tools would get him a little bit further in year one. But he's coming along. Like, he was brutal to start the year. He was really, really struggling. And now, these last 10 games, he started to explode a little bit. Like, his second-to-last game versus Denver, they played him back-to-back. He went crazy. He looked awesome. So... I have been encouraged by what we've seen from him lately. And Amen Thompson, those were the four. It was Wemby, Brandon Miller, Scoot, and Amen, who I loved, who I thought these guys are like future all-NBA kind of talents. I've been underwhelmed by Amen, but I'm far from out on him. Like, he also just had a really good game a, a couple days ago. And his athletic tools are just 100th percentile, bro. In transition, like, as a, as a ball handler... You just can't stop him. And out of pick and roll, he still has that feel. He still has such unbelievable tools to get to the rim and defensively can make so many special plays. He got stuck in a tough spot in that he is A, raw. Much rawer than Scoot, and we knew that. Like, his shot legitimately is gonna need surgery and has needed surgery. So, he was coming from a farther place. He'd also never played at competition close to this level, right? He was playing in the overtime elite league. So... He was never a guy who was going to look his best as a rookie, but also he's been thrown in the situation where Houston is actually pretty solid. They're playing to win games on top of the young guys who they've stockpiled in front of him. They invested in a couple veterans in the backcourt. So he just kind of got pushed down the, the depth chart in terms of the opportunities that he would be afforded and in terms of having the freedom to go out there and shoot four for 15 a bunch like Scoot has had those games this year. Amen just hasn't had that same sort of leeway, but I still think they both have crazy potential because the athleticism is crazy, but Brandon Miller is playing at a different level from them and I would absolutely want to build around him over either of them going forward. Looking for a super offer for Super Bowl 58? DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered. New customers can bet on the big game and turn 5 bucks into 200 instantly in bonus bets. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code NERDS. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 200 instantly in bonus bets only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code NERDS. The crown is yours. 
Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problems with gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, licensee partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles, 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility and Deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Let's talk about Jalen Brunson, Logan, because the man has been on a heater. And the Knicks finally lost a game. They had won nine straight, three of those without both OG and Julius Randle, who are out with injury. OG should be back much sooner than Randle, who has that dislocated shoulder. But Brunson has gone berserk, carrying them in that stretch, making them one of the elite NBA teams since trading for OG. Should he be on the MVP shortlist? I think he should, man. I, you know, Brunson wouldn't be my MVP, but yeah. How many guys are you taking in front of him? Let's start there. Jokic, uh, SGA, SGA. Well, and then I, and then I start questioning, like, who do I, you know, where do I go next? Giannis. Um, I think Giannis. It would be tough to argue Brunson over. Yeah, no, no, I, I would go Giannis. Tatum. It would be tough to argue over just because of the team dominance. And Tatum is a better basketball player than Brunson. And then would you consider Kawhi. I think that Brunson is in a tier with Kawhi. I would probably give Brunson the slight edge. It's tough because Kawhi is doing this with such brutal efficiency, and he has been awesome defensively as of late. But I do feel like Brunson is more singularly responsible. Like, Kawhi is able to lean on PG and Harden in a way that Brunson, Randall may be an all-star, and he has these good stretches in the regular season. But again, he hasn't even been out there, and that offense is still producing at a high level. And there was a stretch once OG came back where it was like, okay, the Knicks are unbeatable because they have the number one defense in basketball but they've consistently been an elite offense they've consistently been sixth hanging right around there in offensive rating so I think Brunson has just had to bear more of a load this regular season than a guy like Kawhi and has done an unbelievable job I agree and I just think you could drop Jalen Brunson in any basketball situation as the team's point guard and they're going to be great the Knicks Carson the Knicks are my favorite team to watch in basketball, and it's not close. I mean, they are... Again, I don't want to get hyperbolic while we're here, but it gives me a joy that I have not felt since watching the old Warriors teams or the old Spurs teams, the level of seamless, unselfish team basketball that they play. I, I'm i just happy. I'm glued to my TV when the Knicks are playing basketball. They are... And then with that, it's beautiful, man. The fact, because when you play this team basketball where you're sharing it and everybody's getting involved and you're all playing together as a unit, it directly translates to the defensive side of the ball too. And they play with such grit and heart and fight, man. Like, I, I just wish more teams were, had this identity. The Knicks have such a solid identity, man. And it is led out by Jalen Brunson because we can't take him for granted, right? Josh Hart, Dante DiVincenzo, Isaiah Hardenstein, uh, OG, Deuce, they all play their roles really well, right? But without Jalen Brunson, they can't do it because their job is catch it off the kick, find the open guy, take the open shot, attack the closeout, right? They're the connecting pieces that make the engine go, but Brunson is the key. 
You know what I mean? Brunson is the guy. He's the he's the alternator. He is what's getting turned over. He is the guy that is making the engine start and get fired up. Like, uh, you know, they may be the oil, but, you know, Brunson is the guy making it happen because he's getting the ball into the paint. <laughs> he's the oil, man. Yeah. He's, he's the blood, man. He's the life force. Brunson is getting downhill. Brunson is, well, the blood's the oil. Yeah. Um, without Brunson, you know, it, it just doesn't work. And he's so good in, in, in transition, in the mid-range, in, that's something that I just think we take for granted. Like, I, I love it. Brunson is not concerned about getting his own. Brunson is not concerned. Brunson wants to win. And it starts with him getting the offense in motion. It's just, the Knicks play such beautiful basketball. And it starts with Jalen Brunson, man. I, I love what they've built. I consider the Knicks to be a legitimate, legitimate contender. Um... And I think Jalen Brunson has gotten underrated. I'm almost glad that I don't disagree with what Becky Hammond said, but I'm almost glad that she said that to where we could shine a little bit of an extra light on Brunson and show him some love. I'm not glad about the backlash that she received because I didn't inherently disagree with her argument, but uh, I'm glad that we can give him some love because I think Brunson's been deserving of it for a long time. And he's the man, dude. He's he's the freaking man. Uh, there are very few point guards in the NBA today that I would take over Jalen Brunson for a playoff run. There are very few. I don't know if we needed the weird outrage over Becky Hammond's comments to give Brunson his love, especially as the New York Knicks star point guard. But he has been underrated. And the idea <laughs> that he and Julius Randle were equally responsible for the Knicks team success so last dumb, year or man. even so I remember some poll going into the playoff run dude it was late in the regular season who's the Knicks best player and a majority of people said Julius Randle shocking stunning appalling I think I saw that in some sort of NBA writer ranking too just horrifying stuff I mean there are gaps and gaps between those dudes like genuinely I think that Julius Randle is like a, t- a top 50-ish player if you're talking playoff basketball maybe Maybe you have to give credit for what he can do, at least as a like volume guy when he imposes his strength and as a decent jump shooter. But Brunson's like top 15. Would you consider Tobias Harris or Julius Randle? Is that a debate for you Mm. going into the playoffs? No, that's not a debate for me. Randall just has, okay. he just has such more significant physical advantages and he is clearly a better playmaker. Like, this is what I'm saying about Randall. No, he's not a guy who I would want to build my team around. But some guys have the luxury of being a third option or a fourth option. That's Tobias Harris. Julius Randall is good enough to where we key in on his flaws as a second option. And those flaws are very, very real. But he is at least able to carry a star load in a way that like a Tobias Harris isn't. I concur. He's just so How are damn we shitting on Julius man. Randall? This is he's an just... incredible incredible diversion from Jalen Brunson love to Julius Randle hate you and I are aligned buddy I don't like Julius Randle my point was the gap is massive between those two and people were acting like they were 1a and 1b and that Julius Randle was 1a and that was just stupid Brunson's last 10 games dude 33 points and seven assists a game unbelievable shooting efficiency he's been over 50 percent from the field in every one of those games but two he just plays like a fringe superstar kind of guy. 
like again a top 15 kind of guy and in the postseason i think that his game scales very well because that shot making is from all over the floor and it is special and we saw it last year the offensive 12 points per 100 possessions better with him so when we're talking about mvp i would have the guys above him who we mentioned Jokic, sga Giannis, tatum i would have luca brunson fits the more typical like oh elite team but luca I mean, he's just playing at an unfathomable level. He's doing a rounded 35, 9, and 10 on really good efficiency. Like, I can't keep that dude out of my top five in the MVP race. And then I think Brunson's in that tier with Anthony Edwards, a guy who is playing at a similar level individually on a great team. But I do think Brunson's a bit more directly responsible because so much of Minnesota's success is about that great team defense. They're very close, but I would probably lean Brunson, especially with this heater that he's been on. I just think he's the better offensive player between the two. Donovan Mitchell has done so much to carry that Cavs team through all the injuries. I do prefer Brunson's play style, how it scales, so maybe I'm rewarding him because of that. And then I have Kawhi in that tier, and I have Halley in that tier, but Halley has been hurt. Now he's back on the minutes restriction, so I don't think that he quite has the case that Brunson does right now. Speaking of which... Those are two guys who it feels like would be the favorites right now to be considered the best guard out East. You have Trey, you have Donovan Mitchell, you have Tyrese Maxey, but I think those would be the two frontrunners. You have, of course, Dame. Uh, do you think Brunson is the best guard in the East? Like, if it came down to a playoff run today, is he the guy you would want? Yes, 100%. Unequ- We've seen it. We've seen yeah. it. Look what he did with the Dallas Mavericks when Luka was out carrying that team i still man come on yeah oh, i know come on it, it'll Dallas. haunt Y'all them forever got the chip yeah dude that is a franchise altering mistake yeah uh we've talked about that in depth over the past couple of years but it, it is man and it's the it, it's what i said right with trey young you have this question of can he play team basketball? Does it lead to winning? Right. That's and I, and that's that's why he was left off the All Star team is because of that stigma and that question surrounding him. Mm-hmm. Right. Does it lead to winning basketball? I've seen Brunson play off ball. I've seen Brunson relocate. Brunson with Dame. There's a you know this is probably Dame's worst year. And honestly, man, did you see that quote the other day that Dame said? What did he say, dude? Another red flag about the Milwaukee Bucks that I have. Again, if you haven't been staying up to date on Nerd Session, I've completely written off the Milwaukee Bucks yeah, as a contender of mine stuff. because they hired Doc Rivers. Dame said, uh, "You know, dudes say that they play clear-minded and they uh, and that they play empty-headed and that they're like super clear." He said, "I'm going through a divorce, man, and I got kids. Like he just sounds like he's going through it and he's really clouded Jesus. on the court. Like, bro, he's got about you, Carson. He's got to get that out through his music, bro." Something. Spit. Yeah. Get in the stew, Dame. Fix this, bro. For real. I, I mean, I feel at peace on the court. I feel at home. I am literally at my happiest when I'm playing Logan, basketball. Logan compares himself to Damian Lillard. Not in that case. We got to count up. Just... We got to count up the tally for Logan comparing himself to NBA, player, NBA players as of late because it's getting to be too much. You, I'm just saying, my men. It's getting look, to be I'm, too much. I'm, you I'm can't. Happy. You I'm, talk I'm about. Fun, I go man. into a pickup bra and I spot the shooter and I say, "I'm getting you the rock, man. I'm gonna make you a priority." I do, and bro. Then you say, I'm getting him the rock. That's what. That's what ex NBA stars should be doing. Settle down. Anyway, I'm <laughs> clear headed on the court. Okay. I'm not an NBA player, but I'm clear headed, right? Dame, that just that that scares me a little bit. And this has been a down year for Dame, so I'm gonna take Brunson. Yeah. Uh, Tyrese, I think his job is a little easier. I think his job's a little easier playing alongside Embiid. Oh, that I trust Tyrese. Brunson's. 
I, I trust Brunson's playmaking chops more. I trust that's the only guy that I would consider. Um, and Donovan. What about Halliburton? No, that's what I'm saying. Oh. Halliburton's the only guy that I would consider okay. uh, to to be in this conversation with Brunson. Um, you know, like Donovan's interesting too because I've seen Donovan go nuclear during a playoff series, but I think Brunson's game's a little more consistent, yep. right? We've seen Mitchell lull himself into pull up threes, lull himself into pull up middies, kind of completely ice out his team for quarters, yeah. legitimate quarters where he says, "Hey guys, I'm going to dribble the ball five times, and I'm taking a three at the top yep. of the key." Halley is interesting because Halley also has that seamless, easy offense. He's an elite pull-up jump shooter. He's an elite perimeter shooter. I like Brunson's physical imposition a little more, and that's why I'm going to say that I'd take him over Halley. Halley's probably the better playmaker. He's probably the better shooter. He's got elite touch. But Brunson has the best footwork of any player in the NBA. He plays with that physical imposition and he just gets downhill into the lane more, man. I think he, I'm not going to say he leads to better offense than Halley because Halley leads out elite offenses. Brunson's number one for me. Halley's probably two. It's That's a close debate for me. Brunson's number one, though, man. I I love the freaking Knicks, and I love Jalen Brunson. I love Jalen Brunson, too. The best footwork in the league, that's an interesting conversation. I Dude, Brunson's disgusting. He is... I kind of think SGA might have him beat SGA's Ooh, that's, nasty, that's good, the step-throughs, and the overall paint mm-hmm. navigation. That's for the guards. And then I think there's some bigs who can get pretty nasty with it. Jokic, Shen Goon has got pretty crazy footwork. Yeah. But there's no question, like, what Brunson does as a guard is absolutely disgusting. And, yeah, he gets to his spots at will, and that's part of it. I think Halley is the competition here. Dame is a a more egregious defensive liability than a guy like Brunson. Cause at least Brunson plays with better instincts positionally. He's a charge taking machine. He's just a smarter, more high effort defender than Dame right now. And they both have real physical limitations. Hallie is probably the best regular season guard in the East. And he's clearly a better playmaker than Brunson. And he's clearly a better three-point shooter. I know that Brunson is now more efficient, but I think Halley's volume, the degree of difficulty while maintaining crazy efficiency, he's an unbelievable pure shooter from deep. So I think that Halley's ability to enhance everybody around him probably exceeds Brunson's because of that playmaking and the way that he can just dictate every possession. But for a playoff series, I do want a guy whose scoring I know is going to scale regardless of circumstance. And Brunson still really does play make well. He still makes his teammates better, right? It's not like he's a score first black hole kind of player whatsoever, but he does get to his spots at will. He's been there before and he was awesome last year in really adverse circumstances. Like defenses did not respect the Knicks spot up shooters whatsoever. And they were willing to pack the paint They were willing to sink in their defense. They were willing to trap and double the Knicks stars. Just get the ball out of their hands. Somebody knocked down a spot-up jumper. The Knicks supporting cast couldn't do it. Julius Randle fell apart in those circumstances. Jalen Brunson still balled out. And he did that even when he, like, wasn't shooting at regular season levels from three because he was getting to the lane consistently, and he's a crazy shot maker there. So there's no question I would rather have Howley long-term because I think that he can continue to grow and will be such a dominant heliocentric offensive engine for years and years. But in those grimy playoff settings, when Halley hasn't been there yet, 
I think I would probably lean Brunson for this year. It's very, very close, though. And I think Halley's a little bit of a defensive liability, too. Slight frame. Can he is. Get picked they on. all are. They all. You're right. Um, yeah, I, I think that's right. I would probably take Halley long-term, too. I think he's just going to do this for the entirety of his career. But I trust. Yeah. Br- I do trust Brunson a lot more in a rock fight, man, in a grimy game. We've, seen, we've just seen him in those he's settings. He's built for it. Yeah. He's built for that. He's built for that. And that really matters. All right, Logan, we got to talk about a little bit of unfortunate news here because Joel Embiid is officially having surgery on that torn meniscus that we learned about at the end of last week. Comes, of course, in the middle of a career season. He could be done for the year. He could make a return for the playoffs. That's really the earliest he could be back is April. It's going to depend on whatever route they take for his recovery. Just a series of unfortunate moments for him if it's his entire career being set back two years due to injury. The consistent injuries that he's had since making his NBA debut. Some of the playoff shortcomings. Do you think he's the unluckiest player ever? And if not, who do you think that is? I don't know about ever. I do want to give some context to how historic of a season this is first. Uh, Like you mentioned, uh, he's going to have surgery soon. Best case scenario, an NBA insider has said one to two months is the best case scenario. I think that's ambitious. Um, this is one of the greatest statistical cases in NBA history. We're going to do a quick trivia break here, Carson. Let's go. He is the 11th most points per game in a single season in NBA history. Can you name every player above him? Yes, I can. All right, let's start with Wilt Chamberlain at 50.4, and then he's got a, like four other seasons above this. We have MJ scoring 37.1. We have Kobe at uh, 35.4. We have Rick Barry at 35.6. We have James Harden at 36.1. We have Elgin Baylor, his 38-point-per-game season, and that's rad. That's the sweep, man. Yeah, he is one of two players to average 35 points per game and six assists per game. That's just him and James Harden. And he's only one of three players to average 35 points per game and 11 rebounds per game. That's just him, Wilt Chamberlain, and Elgin Baylor. It's a historic campaign. 35, 11, and 6. We have quite literally never seen anybody put up that stat line. It's the most efficient 35-point-per-game season ever. 64.5 true shooting percentage. That's 2.9% higher than the next closest 35-point-per-game season. That's just 2019 James Harden. And if you expand this to 30-point-per-game seasons, it's the 8th most efficient 30-point-per-game season ever. And you talk about his playoff shortcomings, Carson. He really has fixed his biggest uh, flaws this season. Uh, We've talked about it in depth. Disgusting efficiency and volume from the mid-range. His shot has been on. He's scoring the most points per game from 15 to 19 feet in the NBA on 56.4% from the field. That's third uh, field goal percentage-wise behind Halliburton and DeAndre Ayton. And he's shown great development as a playmaker. Decision-making out of double teams, consciously weaponizing um, his scoring to create shots for his teammates. It, It really is an unfortunate injury and one of the greatest seasons in NBA history, bar none. Uh... My question, I wonder if, and this is a freak injury, like this just, the circumstances, he just rolled up on it. Uh, before we get into unluckiest player ever, I just want to ask you, Carson, do you think he needs to lose weight? Do you think like uh, like dropping 20 pounds would help the bear on his knee? It's always tough for big guys because big guys just inherently moving up and down the floor every possession, it is really tough on their knees and on their body. Do you think dropping like 15 to 20 pounds would help Embiid? I don't know, man. He wasn't this big coming into the league. He was probably 30 Mm -hmm. pounds lighter. 
and he missed two full That's seasons true. with foot injuries. Like I think he's just one of those dudes whose body's just built to be injured. I, I do think Embiid is one of the most unfortunate. I wouldn't say the. I wrote down four guys. Uh, some injury concerns. Bill Walton, I would consider one after hitting his apex. Carson, mm-hmm. he had 38 orthopedic surgeries in his career. That's ridiculous. I mean, yeah. foot, back, ankle, knee, uh, constantly beat up. Greg Oden, uh, <laughs> Carson wrote a rap about Greg Oden. Golly, man. And yeah. for him specifically, three microfracture surgeries in the same knee is just brutal. I, you just can't sustain that. Brandon Roy completely lacking cartilage in both of Bro his Bro is just naming trailblazers. Bro is True. doing the name trailblazers and then, game. Uh, outside of injuries uh, and Sam Bowie, yeah. <laughs> LaRue Martin if he had gotten his shot, Sidney Wicks if he had been in the right situation. Yeah, I, 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 I was getting there. Uh, and then Yeah, Jeff Petrie. Why didn't we ever see Jeff Petrie play longer? He actually was cut short by injury. The Blazers actually do have a pretty brutal injury history the only guy that i wrote down here that wasn't injury concerns was jerry west just because of the brutal circumstance that he lost the finals in uh well there's one guy a little bit unluckier than jerry elgin baylor shout out Mm -hmm. uh jerry lost seven nba finals before winning an nba title and then four finals in game seven and then elgin i mean retiring the season that you get the chip is is just brutal so those are the guys i wrote down but do you think that that Embiid is the unluckiest player ever no, I don't see how anybody could be unluckier than Elgin Baylor. When you just consider the consistent individual dominance, right? 10 times first team All-NBA. You mentioned Jerry lost four game sevens in the finals. Elgin was there for every single one of them. He was 0-8 in the finals throughout his career. So he is the combination of so consistently being on the brink, being great individually, where it's not like you look at a lot of those series and you're like, oh boy, Elgin let them down. He had a run of four straight postseasons where he led the entire field in scoring. Two of those included finals appearances. And uh, he also had the devastating injury luck where 65, he has a major knee injury. He's never quite the same, but he manages to get back to this superstar level. But then 1970, He tears his Achilles. He's basically done at that point. Then it's another major knee injury that causes him to retire in the season in which the Lakers, as you mentioned, would ultimately win the title. Like, I don't think anybody else is going to ever have that combination of terrible luck. I I pray that nobody else ever does. The other guy who I wrote down is Steve Nash, for whom it's not a question of injury luck. Injury is a good way to look at it. Walton. I don't think anybody has ever like reached the apex, reached the apex, and then just gotten their career destroyed by injuries like he did. But at least he got his his ring, man. And then at least he got his second ring with '86 Celtics, and he found a role for himself. That sucks. Of course, a lot of people talk about D Rose, his injuries derailing his career. But when I think about guys who were just consistently on the brink and just got screwed over by various factors, Steve Nash always stands out to me. There are other guys who were consistently great and didn't get their ring. Charles Barkley, of course. But he only had the team, like, probably in 1993. That was, like, kind of it. The Philly years, the supporting cast were weak. The Houston years, they were too old. Those Phoenix teams were really good, but that was just for a couple years, really. Carl Malone, of course, they were knocking on the door so many times, but Carl Malone folded. Carl Malone folded in the finals, so I can't really feel as bad for him. Nash got better in the playoffs often, and he just had to go through maybe the toughest that any individual conference has ever been. 
When you think about the Spurs in the Mavs of the mid-2000s, and then in the late 2000s, the Lakers, the early 2000s, the Lakers, when he was on the Mavs. And then he also has some terrible circumstances around him. 03 Western Conference Finals, when he's with the Mavs, Dirk gets hurt versus the Spurs, who would go on to win the title. In the 06 season, he loses Amari Stoudemire, still wins 54 games, still makes them a great basketball team, still gets them to the Western Conference Finals, but is down one of his key guys. 2007, you have the famous bench clearing, suspensions to multiple key sons. He lost two uh, future champs in the Western Conference Finals three separate times in 03 to the Spurs, in 05 to the Spurs, and in 2010 yeah. to the Lakers. Also lost to the O. Yeah, also lost the 06 Mavs, who were a great team that would ultimately lose in the finals, and lost to the future champion 07 Spurs, basically in the Western Conference Finals. Like, that's how everybody treated it. People treated that series like the NBA Finals, because it was the Cavs coming out the other side. They didn't know that yet, but, like, those were the two best teams in basketball. So, when I think a dude who just consistently came up short, and really you blame things around them, Nash stands out. Harden is the other guy who it's like, oh, man, he never got a ring. But again... He didn't play up to his individual level. Still, when you consider the CP3 injury, when you consider the 27 missed threes, when you consider going up against the KD Steph Warriors to begin with, like there's no question that Harden got some some real bad breaks. I think Nash is a good pick too. I, Nash would definitely be on my on my short list. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, just never just never materialized, man. Yeah, unfortunately. Embiid is seemingly on this trajectory. And again, he does bear responsibility for most of his playoff shortcomings. Like, I don't just want to write that off as, oh, bad luck, because he hasn't been close to the player that we've seen in the regular season. A couple of those spots he has been banged up, though. Obviously, it looked early in his career like he might be one of those guys who's doomed to never be healthy, and he's overcome that in recent years, which has been encouraging. But he hasn't completely overcome that. He hasn't magically fixed his body and... I hope that he can maintain this level because it starts to get scary when you're knocking on the door of 30 and you've had this many injuries, but like he got better again this year. He's the best that he's ever been. So I really hope that he doesn't join that unfortunate company, but we'll see. This was just a, a bummer for him during such a special season. All right. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my, look at that, he is! And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win! Unbelievable! When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all. But here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs? I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay, so you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs... Yeah, like check out these hair. Pl- I mean, don't just walk around. Hey, tapping. Hey, hey, stranger. I don't want you thinking this is natural. You know, but I mean, <laughs> do you, you have to do that with everyone you meet? Try to act like they. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, but I mean, like, like John Cena got it. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot, and now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, "Look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot." Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or like put a sign in your yard, but all right. So what about toupees? 
Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. All right, let's talk about another team out east, Logan. That being the Boston Celtics, because it feels like whenever they lose a game, it's sort of a cultural event around the NBA. The loss to the Lakers this past week was the latest example where they sat both AD and LeBron and Boston still lost. And then it feels like a lot of people come out and say, oh, that's why they can't win the title or they make these sweeping statements. Do you think that people overreact to Boston losses, Logan? I don't think that people overreact to Boston's losses. And the reason that I say that is because they continue to lose in the same way. It's the same mind-boggling, frustrating shit show that is going to bite them in the playoffs if they get dropped again. And if Boston does fall short again, it's not like I'm going to be surprised. Let me say it this way. If they're fully healthy, I would be really surprised if they didn't come out of the East. If you have KP, Drew Holiday, Tatum, D. White, and Jalen Brown, I will be stunned if the Boston Celtics do not make the NBA Finals. If an injury happens to one of those guys and they drop, I really would not be surprised because they're at a similar level. But Carson, in wins, they shoot 43 three-pointers. In losses, they shoot 42. In wins... They make thirty-nine. Uh, they make almost forty percent of their threes, and in losses, they make thirty-one percent. This team is really, yeah. really relying on the three-ball every single night. And I was explaining this concept to one of my roommates too. We were talking about Boston, and I said, "That's what makes Boston such a great team. Is normally when they are shooting well, when they are on, they are going to demolish teams. They're going to win yeah. by twenty to thirty. And when you get that bad shooting night, that is just going to happen." Shooting discrepancy, we can get caught up in a lot of, like, uh, for example, I don't know if you watched Nuggets-Blazers the other night. Really Mm -hmm. close game the entire way through. Why? Portland was just hitting shots. I'm sitting there going, man, how is Portland hanging in this game? They're just making shots. Like, that's going to happen. In some games, that missed shot bug is going to bite you, and you're going to miss. Like, Boston just lacks that offensive dynamism in the clutch. And, you know, it starts with Tatum. It's... It's crazy too, Carson, because guess what? Boston shoots their worst percentage in the fourth too from behind the arc. The first three hmm. quarters, 39%, 40%, 37%. They shoot 36% in the fourth quarter. It's just that's their identity, and that's their that's the monkey that they have to get off their back right now, man. And I'm not saying that's like a staggering number, but it's real. That's a 3% drop. That 3% drop matters. I don't know, man. Boston doesn't have that identity. They don't have something to turn to in the fourth quarter. And Carson, you've mentioned it a myriad of times on this show. They have the personnel this year 
where that doesn't have to be an issue. You can go mm-hmm. to Porzingis on the low block because you have a 7'3 freak that can attack any mismatch on the floor. You have Jason Tatum, yeah. who is a 6'9", strong, physically imposing wing that can go on the low block and attack a mismatch. You have Jalen Brown, who is a strong 6'7", physically imposing wing who should be able to get down low and attack mismatches. You shouldn't be reliant on three ball like this when you have this many guys who are physical, who are big and strong, who can take advantage mm-hmm. of mismatches on the floor, they just don't consciously do it every night. They lull themselves into their bad tendencies, their comfort zone. It's uh, it's like something that Dennis Johnson uh, said. He was talking about how uh, DJ made Michael Jordan a better defender. He was talking about how you can lull the offensive player into their comfort zone. Um, and when mm. you pressure them on ball, they get back into their comfort dribble. And when they get into their comfort dribble, you can time when to steal the ball. Well, it's a similar concept. It, it, ultimately, in the game's big moments, when the pressure is on, you are going to revert to your normal tendencies because you're not acting on brain. You're not acting on. You're, you're not. You're acting on instinct in the game's big. It's the moment. You know what I mean? There's no. Your process goes out the window. You revert back to what is normal to you, what is regular. And the Celtics consistently drift into their comfort zone instead of going above and beyond and attacking and closing the door. So, no, Carson, in my opinion, I don't think people overreact to the Celtics' losses because the Celtics consistently lose in the exact same frustrating way. I think that maybe people overreacted the Celtics losses because I don't totally agree with what you just said. I think that at times there's a bit of confirmation bias there where we have this preconceived notion, a true notion that that has bit them in the past in the playoffs. The lack of a clear offensive identity in the clutch, the over-reliance on Quick pull-up threes, one pass catch-and-shoot threes, instead of imposing your will getting to the rim, and the fact that there's just a variance there that at times the Celtics can't counter. And so those things have absolutely cost them. But then sometimes we'll look at any close game that they lose, and we'll say, oh, that was the problem. I think back to the Warriors game earlier in the year, where a lot of people talked about offensive process, and I kind of thought it was more offensive results. Like, yeah, maybe they could have had a couple more paint touches, but they also missed some bunnies around the rim, right? I just think that there is that tendency to say, this is a problem they have, therefore this is the problem that cost them this game, and we zoom in on that. And the expectations for them are so high that every loss does feel like a big deal, but sometimes they lose in these other ways, and yet it's like the same comments. This is why the Celtics can't win. Getting blown out by the Bucks, right, having a really bad game, or, or getting sort of just consistently outplayed by a Lakers team down two of their best players, that's not the same thing as losing a really close game to the Nuggets who out-execute you down the stretch, their actual problem, which also isn't really the same thing as losing a close game to the Warriors because a couple shots don't fall for you. I think that people can just conflate these Boston losses, and at the end of the day, they only have 12 of them this year, and that's fewer than anybody else. And the Bucks lost by 40 to the Cavs two weeks ago. They got embarrassed. People didn't really talk about it. The Nuggets lost by 40 to the Knicks 10 days ago. People didn't really talk about it outside of being like, wow, look at how great the Knicks are. And the Nuggets, I think they've earned some of that credibility. They have that reigning champion aura where it's like they don't have to prove it every night in the regular season. They've proven that their game holds up at the highest level in the postseason. 
the Bucks, though, I mean, the Bucks are still trying to prove a lot. And I get that people rag on the Bucks, but they don't key in on specific losses like they do for the Celtics. So, I don't know. I still have concerns about the Celtics, but those concerns only really matter against the Denver Nuggets if they're at full strength. Like, maybe the Bucks or the Knicks, if they manage to get really good Julius Randle, could upset Boston. But I would make Boston a heavy favorite in those series. So, I understand that the expectations lead us, all people, but very much us included, to focus in on those little things that go wrong in the losses. But they are a great basketball team, and it feels like a lot of people are just ready to jump on any loss. And I think that we're guilty of that. Like, we've come on here and talked about Celtics losses and what it means for them because it's a big deal when the Celtics lose. They're that great, but that's kind of the first point. They're that great, and then they have these little issues that maybe keep them below Denver in my hierarchy. And it feels like sometimes the way people talk about it, it's as though those huge issues come before the fact that they're great to begin with. That's fair. That's really fair. I mean, right now, Boston is my clear-cut favorite out of the East. If they are healthy, Mm -hmm. I'm going to take Boston to win the East. I do want to uh, say one last thing, though, about the ramifications that their offensive offensive process does lead to at the end of games. When you were missing threes, when you were taking threes early in the shot clock, and if you have a lead one, gives your opponent more possessions. You're not burning time off of the clock. And traditionally, mm-hmm. if you're taking and missing threes, that just leads to easier transition opportunities for the other yeah. team. So Boston can just... Spiral. They can spiral. Exactly. They get into these that rhythms. The exact, that's the exact word. 100%. It happens. They start taking bad, long threes that lead to long rebounds, that lead to transition, and they consistently are making it harder on themselves offensively and mm-hmm. easier on the opposing team offensively. That's very, very real. My point is just that's not exposed every single time they lose mm-hmm. in the regular season, and it isn't a death sentence for a basketball team compared to being a bad defense <laughs> like Milwaukee. Yeah. There's levels to the issues that you can have. They can still be real, And they can matter in those highest stakes matchups. But sometimes you're just too talented. And you can't overcome a huge talent deficit unless you're the Miami Heat just by exposing that one issue that the other team has. So that's kind of where I fall on the Celtics thing. I think it's interesting. I think that there's truth to both sides on that. I do. But they're still going to be top dog out east, man. I mean, they're pretty damn good, dude. They're pretty damn good. All right. That's going to do it for us here today, guys. Hope you've enjoyed If you did, the good news is there's always more Nerd Sesh content. By the way, specifically want to mention that we launched a new series on our YouTube page. We are now doing a trivia gauntlet hosted by our friend Peyton, where Logan and I go head-to-head. We wanted to give you guys more long-form trivia, and specifically we wanted to do more in that head-to-head format, because when it's just the two of us, that's tough to do unless we're just playing a Sporkle quiz. So... That's going to live on YouTube only. We're not doing an audio, but it also, I think, looks awesome. Huge shout out to Peyton. He worked up a bunch of visuals to it, so the graphics look great. So definitely go check that out. We want to make that a weekly thing, especially because during NBA and NFL season, we've been so busy that we haven't always been able to do a trivia time or do a trivia podcast. So hopefully you guys enjoy that. Uh, We also have, of course, our full shows on YouTube with video. We have the video essays that we do there about the NBA. You can listen to the podcast across audio platforms. Logan already gave the shameless plug for the TikTok, but Instagram at nerd sesh, Twitter at nerd underscore sesh. You can see all of our trivia content there uh, as well. 
And you can check out our merch if you want. We've got hats, we've got shirts, we've got hoodies, we got the flags behind us, all that at thevolume.com. You can also join our Discord if you want to be part of our community, talk NBA, NFL with the fellas. That link is at our link tree across our social media bios. And with that, as always, appreciate you guys. I've been Carson Brabber. I've been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm. The Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart.